good singing today. My goodness, so good. Uh, Paul said that the Corinthians came behind to no gift. I, I'll tell you what, I'm a little selfish maybe or a little bit proud, but I think Parkview comes behind no church regarding their music. It's just, you do a good job, church. Thank you, congregation, choir, specials. And we had a new solo at Bethany. I didn't know he had such a pretty voice. Very good. That was great. Well, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to jump around, if you'll excuse me, to a few verses here uh, to get us started. And we're going to look at verse 18 and then drop down to verse 21 and then drop down to verse 27. I usually continue reading, but... uh, for the length of my thoughts, I want to just give us the high points. In Matthew chapter 16, this morning, in verse 18, we read these words. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Drop down to verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And then dropping down to verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the sweet Holy Ghost. We thank you for the word of God and the church and so many other blessings. Father, you're a good good father. You're a good sucker, a good provider. You're compassionate and kind to us. You're gracious and merciful. We love you. And we thank you for your blessings, bountiful bestowments of your blessings upon our lives. Lord, I pray that you just grab our attention this morning with these few verses and speak to us, Lord, about things that you know and things we do not know, things that you know and things that you have shared with us. Help us to be thankful. Lord, although we may be going through some things, have some things enter into our lives Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to worship you, Lord, in spite of maybe heartache or frustration or, Lord, just confusion. I pray, Lord, that you'd be real to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in our text, We could read the whole chapter, but we won't. But in the text, just the few verses we looked at, we see that the Lord had pronounced certain words to his disciples in preparation for his soon passion on the cross of Calvary and then ultimately his departure into heaven. Here we see that the Lord is systematically teaching these men how to take over his earthly ministry in his absence. Uh, The Lord here is showing them some things they did not previously know. Now, we are thankful and grateful that the Lord knows all. Amen. But he understands that we don't have all the knowledge that he has. He will, if it be his will, reveal to us 
What is tomorrow? Uh, John and Kirsten sang a wonderful song last week, remind us of this. He's already there. He knows about tomorrow. Amen? Our God is in control. Our God has a plan. Our God has a will for each and, each and every one of our lives. I hope you believe that. I do. But here the Lord is about to reveal unto his disciples some secret things. Some things that they had not previously known or seen. You know, there are a lot of things the Lord knows that you and I don't know. We think, well, I know, I know the mind of God. Oh, my goodness. We may know quite a bit of this word, but listen, that is, a, that is a study of a lifetime, and then we don't know it all. But our God is so vast. He's beyond our, our realm of understanding. And so he has a lot of secret things that he knows, but there are some things that the Lord allows us to know. And the Lord has revealed to us. And he wants us to maybe learn something each and every day that we get up. I think after a while we begin to think that we do know it all, but we don't know it all. But we can know for certain this, that our God knows all, cares about us, and is in complete control of everything with his hands on it. And folks, he holds the world in his hands. Amen? This morning, I'd like to highlight a particular truth that God has placed upon my heart today. And I want to preach this to this crowd on this Lord's Day. So please pay attention to what the Lord has to say to you through the, through the Word of God and through the pulpit today. I want to focus on this one thought today, and I'll have several thoughts about it, but the secret things of the Lord. Think about that. The secret things of the Lord. The scripture tells us many things about secret things of the Lord, but I'll just give you two to start with. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And then in Psalm 24, uh, 5, verse 14, this might have snuck up on you. You may have never paid attention to this verse, but it said, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. God allows secrets to be known by those that fear him. Here we see that there's something about us and our lives that God wants us to know that he has chosen to keep from us. Now, I say to you, there are many things in our lives that we don't understand. We can't wrap our mind around. We can't fully appreciate because they're secrets. They come to us and we, we just don't get it. And God may show us. He may give us the ability to understand and grasp them. But you know, there are truths that God does certain things and allows certain things that we may never understand this side of eternity. Right. Right. And at that, those times, we have to say, wait a minute, God is God. God is sovereign. God is loving. He's all-knowing. God, God is God, and I must trust Him in those things I cannot understand and I, for one, am glad today that the secret of the Lord are His. I'm glad the Lord has some secrets. I'm glad that He reveals some things to me. But here in our verse, He says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. You want to know more secrets of your God? Then fear Him. Now, we were, 
Wednesday night, we're in Joshua's uh, study, and it's just by happen chance. It interests me that we just talked about this word fear uh, last Wednesday night. It is somehow God does that. He, he, he teaches us one thing and then gives us another opportunity to look at it again. But the word fear here means afraid or fearful of, not God. But it has the meaning of disrespecting or dishonoring our God. We need more people today that have the fear of the Lord in God. We need more of God's people today to fear him, that we would hurt him, offend him, quench him, grieve him. Say to him, Lord, your choices in my life are not good and they're not right. God help us. This word fear means to have reverence or to be afraid or to be held in awe. Have you lost the awe? about your God. As we fear God, the Lord, and give him the honor due him and the holy reverence that we ought to give him and the admiration and the worship he deserves, he has promised to reveal some of his secrets to those that fear him. Do you fear him? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. I want to consider some of the secrets. Some of them are very basic, and you'll say, well, preacher, we've heard this before. That's fine. We're building. But the first thing we see here is the secret of his comprehension. Look at Psalm 147 with me this morning. Psalm 147. And we're going to look at one verse. But we want to understand we have a God that has full comprehension. He's fully aware. I hope that's not a secret to you, but there is a secret of his comprehension. We'll never fully understand how much God knows. Psalm 147 in verse 5, the psalmist writes, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. God allowed him to speak just a little about the majesty of his God. We very rarely think in these realms. We think earthly. We think temporal. We don't think about the majesty of our God. The majesty of his environment, his home. Our Lord is omniscient. He knows all things, especially, listen, he knows about us. He knows our downsittings. He knows our uprisings. He knows our inner thoughts. The word of God is clear to tell us that he understands all, all. He does not have to learn anything. God has not forgotten anything. He does not have to reason out things like we have to. He does not have to find out things, learn anything, figure out anything. Because he's all-knowing. God's knowledge is absolute. We read in Psalm 147, verse 5. But in Hebrews 4.13, we read, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In 1 John 3 and verse 20 for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And again, 
Psalm 44, verse 21, it sounds a little bit like Psalm 47, verse 5. It says, for he knoweth the secret things of the heart. We say, well, I know my heart. And Jeremiah says, no, you don't. Our heart's deceitfully wicked. We don't know our heart, but God does. God knows each and every one of us today where our heart is with him right now. Before we walked in the door, after we'll go out the door, when we're home, when we pillow our head at night and have our private thoughts, the Lord knows your heart in my heart. He knows your fears, your concerns. He knows your frustration. He knows your hurt. He knows if you're bitter. He knows if you're angry. He knows. Some people have said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Well, that's true. So think with me. God knows all about all about me. So that means he knows about your trial that's going on right now. He knows about your current test. He knows about your immediate concern and the concern you have for those you love. He is aware and he has the answer. Listen now to every solution. He has a plan when we don't. I, people say, preacher, I don't have a clue. I, I don't have a plan. Well, yeah, we rarely do. But he always does. Again, I remind you that our God is not anxious. He's not wringing his hands. He's not pacing the floor. He's not biting his fingernails. He's not losing any sleep. Now, knowing this, we ought to have more confidence in him. He is an able helper. He is awake, aware, almighty, and all-powerful. And as Pastor Williams taught this morning, I love how that works, teaching and hear it again, mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. He keeps his eye on us. You know, Israel is the apple of God's eye. But you know what? You're a pretty shiny apple, too. You're his, church. Psalm 16, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of, I, of, of the, thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. What a comfort that is. What a peace that can bring. What, what truth that is to embrace about our God fully. That he is all-knowing, and he cares. See, there's a secret of his comprehension. We don't know it all about him, but he knows all. He has complete comprehension of everything. Even our little lives, even our little short time on this earth. So we see the secret of his comprehension. I want you to notice something else that we got in our verse, in chapter 16, verse 21, that we read, the secret of his cross. Oh, we think we know that story. We don't fully know that story. We can't wrap our mind around the cross and all its intricate details. I'm just glad for it, amen? What I do understand about the cross is because the Lord's given me a little little extra because I feared him. Yeah. He shared with me some things. 
But the secret of his cross, look at Matthew 16, our text, verse 21. And from that time forth, Jesus began, Jesus, to show unto his disciples. He's showing them something here. How that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. They didn't get it when he told them that. The disciples weren't looking for a cross. They were not looking for Jesus to die. And they were not looking for him to rise again. It was a secret at that time. But then it was revealed. It was laid out before them. And then they were afraid and they didn't know what to do with it. And the Lord gave them the Holy Ghost. And the Lord gave them a a command to go into all the world. And as they began to grow in their faith, they began to do what he asked them to do. Things they didn't know at this point, at this juncture. Jesus said to Peter and his chosen disciples, I got something for you to see, and I got something for you to understand. I'm so, you know, after studying the Bible for so long, you learn some things, but, you know, I'm so thrilled that I still learn things, and that God will take me, and he'll say, look at this. And it's like, wow. It's like it wasn't seen before, or understood fully before. And then the Lord, little old me, he shows me something, and it's a blessing. He, he may lay something upon my heart, and I, I can't prove it to everybody, but I know it. I know God has spoke to me. I know God has showed me something. I know this is of God. I might not know all the uh, roads that it might lead to, but I know God, and I know he loves me. I know he cares, and I know he knows. These men didn't know. They were afraid. They didn't know what the future held. And he says, fellas, I got something for you to see and for you to understand. And here's what he told me. He said, I go to Jerusalem. And maybe right away they said, oh, good, they're going to crown him king. That's what they thought. He said, no, not to be king. I must suffer many things. One of the things is not to be accepted by the Jews. He would be rejected. And because of that, God allowed us in, the Gentiles. Then he added a little bit more. He said, I must be killed. No. He was said, I must lay down my life. But he says this, I'll rise again. They didn't get that till a little bit later. Remember the two on the road to May? They didn't understand. He was walking with, they didn't get it. And then as he revealed himself to them, he broke the bread and they go, oh, it's the Lord. See, those are secret things that the Lord let this one know and that one know. As they got closer to him and as they truly feared their Lord and respected their Lord and honored their Lord and said, Lord, you got my life. You got it all. I'm not holding anything back. What more could you and I understand about the greatness of our God if we just open our hearts and trust him? So Jesus tells him, I have a plan that I'm going to share with you from my father of who I am and why I have come. But, you know, it didn't seem like it because right away he's arrested. He's falsely tried. He's committed to death. He's executed. And I'm sure all of them were thinking, "Okay, this is okay to this point, but not this. But you see, God didn't make a mistake when he fashioned Calvary. 
God didn't say, oops, I didn't think that one through. God didn't say, uh, boy, that was an accident. Or he didn't look at the cross like sometimes we do and say, well, that was a tragedy. No, it wasn't. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was all in the master plan of the Father and the Son in agreement to the Father comes to be the Savior of the world. Sometimes you and I, we look at things that happen in our life and we say, well, that's a tragedy. That's unfortunate. What? Do we really know him? Jesus responds to their lack of knowledge. He says in chapter 16, 17, 18, he said, And Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed art thou, listen to this, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee. But my Father which is in heaven. He said, Peter, God has showed you something. My Father has showed you something. Verse 18, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we know that Jesus is not calling Peter the first pope. He said, My Father's revealed some truth to you. Upon this rock, Peter was not the rock. His name means actually pebble or little stone. It was the statement Peter just made. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Rock means fortress, strong foundation, a place of safety, a place of stronghold. It means a place of fastness, a harbor, a stronghold, a refuge of God. Jesus is the rock, not Peter. But the Lord's trying to reveal things to these gentlemen, and he's opening up secrets to them. And he has a little secret on the side for Peter. He said, Peter, God's going to use you, Peter. Now, I'll be honest with you, out of the whole group, I would probably not chose Peter. Peter's too much like you and I. He's a hard head. He's stubborn. He's quick to action. He's hot-headed. Oh, Peter, yeah. He's getting a sword out, cuts someone's head off. Is that not like me and you? Excuse me, I'm sorry. Isn't that not like me? But God's revealing something to Peter. He said, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to reveal something to you that you don't know. And I'm going to tell you what, it pleases me because he said, it's my father that showed you that. Next, I want to show you something here. The secret of his coming. We see the cross. But he doesn't stop there at just the cross. He gives them a little bit of hope. He knew what they were lacking. Look at verse 27. He says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his work. He starts talking about his coming. Now, there are two comings. And many people get confused by these comings. First is the catching away that we like. That, that's the scripture talking about caught away. It means rapture which means the Lord coming back for his saints, the church. And that could happen at any moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we won't go for time's sake, but it's right there. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be, what? Caught up, word, Latin word raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Titus writes it, in chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that that's something to look forward to? Revelation 22, 20, John writes, He which testifies thee saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And John says, Even so, come Lord Jesus. 
That's John. You and I say, oh, no, don't come now. Oh, no, God, don't have your will now. There's probably somebody sitting here today saying, I want to get saved, but not now. I want to live my life the way I want to. Oh, Lord, don't call me in your ministry. That's not part of my plan. Do you understand that he's all-knowing? What we got to do is enter into that secret and trust him. So we got that coming that we think about, and we right away go to the rapture. But there is a second coming, the second advent. The first advent of Christ when he came in a little baby, as a little baby, we're about to worship and understand the Christmas season. That's the first act, when he came. He came flesh and dwelt among us. But the second advent of Christ is when the Lord comes not for his saints, and in the rapture, whoop, we're out of there. But it is with his saints. And when he comes with the saints, he's come, number one, to, to correct his chosen people, Israel. And secondly, to deal with judgment upon this unsaved, lost world that hates him, his word, and everything connected to him. Again, the rapture will occur when Jesus Christ returns for his church. But the second coming will happen when Jesus returns to the earth to defeat and put down and judge the Antichrist, overthrow evil. There's all kinds of things I'd like to teach. This is not the subject matter, just one point of the subject matter. But comparing the rapture and the second coming of Christ in the study of eschatology, they're two separate Events, but they're often confused because there's so much similarity to them. Both happen during the end times. Both are described as the return of Christ. Yet there are important differences between these two comings. There's a comparison of rapture and second coming. It's highlighted with a lot of different key distinctions. One, there's a meeting in the air versus there's a return with him. The rapture, the believers go the second coming, the believers return. Then there's a comparison of before the tribulation, then after the tribulation. The tribulation is that seven-year period of time where God will deal with Israel. He'll discipline you primarily, but he'll also judge the unbelieving world. The rapture will come before the tribulation, but the second coming will come at the end of the tribulation. There's so many Comparisons, deliverance versus judgment, hidden versus seen by all. When the Lord comes for the saints, the scripture teaches that he'll come and we're the only ones going to know about it. Boom. But the second coming of Christ, the Bible teaches all eyes shall see him. There's so many comparisons. Any moment versus only after certain events have taken place. But there are two comings. The Lord is talking about a coming here. He's revealing to his saints some secrets, things they didn't know. He said, fellas, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And then he adds this caveat. He says, I'm going to come and return. I'm going to come again and receive all those that believe in me. I had a question for you today. Why did the Lord do all this? Why did he talk about the first coming, the second coming? Why did he talk about the rapture? Why did he talk about the, the second advent of Christ? You know what the main thing? To be ready. Maybe there's someone here today, you're not saved. You're not ready. Friend, you're not ready for the, the, the second coming. You're not ready for the rapture before the second coming. You're not ready if you should die. 
as children, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Pray that little prayer. Some people think they can go on and on and on and on and not be saved. Go to church. That's good. Oh, that's good enough for me. One of these days. No, you better get saved. You better know that. All this truth that Jesus gave his disciples so they would be ready. Be ready. The fact of his coming. For the Son of Man shall come. The fashion of his coming. In glory. The reward of his coming. He shall see that some are blessed while others suffer loss. He said, I have a blessing. I have a reward. I don't know about you. This is kind of simple, but I want his blessing. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I do. I know it seems weird. He'd save us and we get rewards. That's a deal. Save me, save you, and we get rewards. That's the plan. What a good plan. And he promised us. Question for you. When the Lord comes for the saints, for the church, for his bride in this rapture, will you be ready? Anybody here today that's not ready? It could happen any moment. Are you ready? Have you been saved? Do you believe? I mean, come on. Do you really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you if you believed in Jesus Christ. Have you believed on him? as your personal Savior. If the rapture happened today, would you be left behind? You know, when that kind of preaching was done 20, 30 years ago, it caused fear. I remember in my little country church in Indiana, we, we showed all those corny, hokey, uh, end-time movies. <laughs> the movie about the rapture. The Second Coming of Christ, all those movies. Uh, what was it? One was called Something Planet. Uh, you know, they had uh, The Thief in the Night and all those movies. And back then, man, oh, we were scared to death. Now people go, ha, 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 ha. That's acting? Amen. You know, Christmas is coming, and some of the, some of the kids are coming home. A couple families. Thanksgiving's coming, and usually around Christmas time, the family, they, they choose a Christmas old movie like Ebenezer Scrooge or they, some cartoon, you know, or something like that. And everybody has popcorn, sit down and watch that. If I was to say this year, hey, family, we're going to watch A Thief in the Night. My kids would say, you're kidding, Dad. You're, you're actually, Dad, what's wrong with you? Or somebody told me the other day, Sheffy. Sheffy was great. But today it's like, Sheffy? But I showed all these old prophecy movies when I pastored in Indiana years back. And you know, we showed them, we had like five of them, five weeks in a row on Sunday night. First, I preached the whole book of Revelation. It took me about a year and a half. I could have gone longer, but about a year and a half. And then I showed those prophecy movies. I put it in the paper there in the, in, in the Kendallville Gazette. I I put it in, in the, in, and had advertisement every week. We had 50-something visitors in five weeks on Sunday nights. That's big for a little country church. We ran about 120 men then. And you know, we had about, I don't know, 20, 20 or more people get saved. One guy got saved, was on my staff at church. He taught in the school. 
He said, I've always wondered. I didn't want, he said, I, I might have been, but I want to make sure. And he got saved. Those movies put the fear of God in you. Today, nobody's afraid. And I'll say this. There's a lot of saints that aren't afraid of God anymore. They're not afraid. They're not afraid of getting in God's way, getting in God's business, telling God, I don't think you're right here. But hey, we need to be ready. Are you ready? As a Christian, are you ready for the Lord to come? Oh yeah, I wish he'd come today. Do you? You in right relationship with him? Think Friend, the time of salvation is now. Is there somebody here and you're not saved? Get saved now. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let me give you another point here. This is an important one. The secret of his conversion. Look at Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to move on. We'll be done. Acts chapter 3, there's a secret here for us to understand. Now you say, I already know this preacher. Good, God's revealed it to you. But there's some people here, maybe here today, that do not understand this. In Acts chapter 3, and I want to read verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive unto the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. This word conversion or convert means the act of believing or a change that comes with heart and life. Amen. Have you had a change? Have you, be, have you been converted? There's another conversion. The Lord was talking to Peter. He said, and when thou art converted, he told Peter that. Part, he didn't say when you get saved, Peter. He's talking about Peter changing. Peter had a heart problem. He said, Peter, you need to change your heart. You need to change your mind. I, I'm speaking to the majority of God's people today. I believe many of you are already converted. You've been saved. There's been a change in your heart, in your life. But there may be somebody here today, you need to be converted. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. And you think you're okay, but you're not okay, friend. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You need a conversion. I mean a real experience of salvation. But then the majority of the saints that are in here, you're like, Peter, you need to have a change of heart and mind toward God. God's bringing certain things into our life. Where, well, I don't get this. Well, it's a secret. But God may show you. He may reveal his will to you. He said to Peter, when you're converted, he, he, help the brethren, help your brethren. We are saved. We know the word. We know the gospel frontwards and backwards. That means we ought to be given the gospel. And we ought to be doing everything we can to make sure other people get the gospel and receive the gospel. The early church 
daily went into the highways and hedges. The early church went to the streets and the byways. The early church went to the marketplaces and all the public arenas to do what? Have fun? Is God against fun? No. They had a purpose, and that was to get the gospel to the world. We should too. In Acts chapter 26, Paul stands before a king. You know, when Paul started this thing out, remember Paul was, he was an enemy of, of the church. Paul was a uh, Pharisee of the Jews. He gets saved and God takes him away. I think 17 years he spent in preparation. And the church was afraid of Paul when he first came and they, they thought he was just tricking. He thought maybe he was deceiving so that he could gather up more people and send them to prison and break up more homes and stamp out this sect of Christianity. That's what people thought of Paul. But he, God took him aside in the desert place and prepared him. He brought people into his life and Paul, Saul became a Paul and he became an apostle of the early church. God was working mightily in Paul. Nobody ever thought that Paul would stand before kings and declare the word of God and the gospel. Paul desperately wanted all men to be saved. He's the one that said, I, I'd rather have myself a curse that my people may be saved. That was Paul. He wanted those that he witnessed to and preached to and spoke to, 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 to heed the message and be saved. He wanted men and women to be converted and live for Christ. I got a question. Friend, have you yet been converted since you've been saved? Peter had to go through it. Paul had to go through it. We all have to go through it. You get saved, that's a matter of your soul salvation. But when you let God have his way with you, that's a different thing. The secret things belong to the Lord. Maybe you don't get some things sometimes. Somebody's working in someone else's life. Somebody's working in the church. Somebody goes through a health crisis. Someone loses a loved one. And we say, wow, how could this be of God? The secret things belong to the Lord. If you don't leave, understand it, leave it alone. It's not yours to know. Trust Him. Praise Him anyway. Amen. Friend, have you been converted? Have you truly been saved by the grace of God? You say, preacher, I know I have. But have you now been converted to think like God and act like God and want what God wants? That's a different matter. Amen. The secret of conversion, that's salvation, is pretty open. You, 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 Jesus died on the cross. You believe that he died for you. You, you, you repent. You confess your sins. You ask him into your heart and life. There's conversion. There's salvation. But the conversion of a Christian is a little different. It's getting to the place where you totally, teetotally, offer yourself to God. Ask yourself, have you ever offered? Have you offered your marriage? Have you offered your family? Have you offered your career? Have you offered your finances? Have you offered your reputation? You know, years ago, I had a man preach for me, Richard Sandlin. He preached a revival for me in my little church in Indiana, and I'll tell you what, he's a deep preacher, and that guy could preach. Oh, man, he was, he was a student of the Bible. He was, I, Doc Sandlin was a scholar to me, and that, that guy, he had a little, he was a little different, but he, man, he had a touch of God on him, and he could teach and preach the Word of God. And he made a comment one time preaching in my pulpit. He said, 
If God has to be honored and blessed, and by doing it, he embarrasses me, so be it. And I thought of that. I, well, I went like this. It's like some of you were doing. I went, what? You ever have a what moment? You ever go, what? But as time has gone by, I kind of understand now. Let him have his way. We, we sing, let him have his way with thee. But we don't mean it. You know, that's a big statement. Let him have his way with thee. That means if God decides to make you sick, that's okay. If he's going to bring something good out of it, is is this still okay? If he causes some tragic, in our mind, thing to happen, do we say, I'm okay with that? Listen, we have a natural side of us. That's normal. God understands that. But when God is or has done something that we cannot fully understand. Do we love him enough? Do we trust him enough? Do we worship him enough? Say, God, I'm taking my hands off. This is bigger than me. This is your realm. This is a God thing, not me thing. Are you going to get angry? You're going to get bitter. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get... I'm preaching tonight a little bit. I'm backslide, backslide. I hated to say that to you because I know some of you won't come now. It's a good message. I think it'll help all of us. But we say, Lord, have your way. Do we absolutely understand what that means? And I'm saying there are some secret things of the Lord that we cannot enter into. But he's fully aware. And he's not. No. He's working. He's fulfilling. He's moving. He's reaching people for Christ through us. I want to say today as I close, if there's somebody here today and you've never been truly saved, you're not converted, I mean, you've never, you've never asked them to forgive your sins and save your soul and then you, you sense that change within your heart. Don't let salvation be a secret to you. You can know that you know that you know by coming today and let us show you in the Bible how you can call on Jesus and he'll save your soul. God loves you and he wants you to be saved. But I say to believers today, have you come to the place of conversion as a Christian? You say, preacher, I I feel like I've been there. Here's another question. Have you backed up on that? I mean, one time you were so dedicated to law, you were sold out, but now you're not. And God's trying to draw you back to him. Amen. Are you willing? Are you willing? I hope you are. Come and settle your heart with the Lord. And he might just open your heart to know a secret about him what he's doing, and why he's doing it. Don't come to me. So preacher, I just don't understand this. Can you show me? Can you tell me why this is happening? You know what I'm going to say to you? I'm going to say, nope. I don't get it either. Wait a minute. You're the big man of God around here. You're the pastor. You're supposed to know it all. 
Has it ever dawned on you that I don't have all the answers? But I know he does. And he might just show you a secret thing that belongs to him. And you know what? He might show you something he don't show me. For you, the man of God, that's fine. I'm perfectly comfortable with my calling with God. I don't have all the answers. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you. You can ask my kids. They'll tell you. My boys were texting each other this morning. They get on this family thread or whatever you call it. And they're going, this morning, Stephen started, said, hello, gentlemen, good morning. So I made a statement, and Joe made a statement, and he said, well, I got Daniel in here, but I thought, man, Daniel must be in church or something when this is going on, going back and forth. And I, it was kind of foolishness, and they were talking about the Michigan State game. We don't want to talk about that, Mark. But they were going back and forth, because Joe's a Michigan State fan. We don't want to talk about that. But they were doing that, and I said, somebody's stirring the pot this morning. I said, listen, gentlemen, I've got to leave. I've got to go preach. And I've got to have a right mind when I get ready to preach. And Joe sends me back. He says, go get him, Dad. <laughs> now, I don't really know what he meant by it. Go get him, Dad. <laughs> Folks, I don't understand everything God's doing. Man, I don't understand everything God's doing in my life, let alone tell you what God's doing in your life. But I know this. He's a great God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a generous God. He's gracious. He's kind. He's, he's long-suffering. He's a God with all knowledge and understanding. I know He loves me, and I know He loves you, and He wants the best for you. And He's working. Thank God He's working in your life, in my life. You know what? He, before he left the disciples, he wanted them to know something they didn't know. He wanted them to know more. Why? Because they had a job to do for him. Folks, we got a job to do for him right now. You want to know some of the secret things of God? Then get real close to him. Don't get away from him. Well, I don't like the way this is going. I don't like how this is happening. I don't, know how the, I don't like how this is affecting me. Oh, friend... Don't push God away. Get closer, then maybe God will whisper something to you that you didn't know before. And you'll be so glad you didn't do this to God, but you did this to God. Secret things belong to the Lord, but he gives them to those that fear him. Let's bow our heads today, every head bowed. I don't know what you got going on in your heart, your life.